For over 5,000 years of documented history, people have been using the cannabis plant as medicine. From ancient Chinese medical journals to the modern-day dispensaries, cannabis and its many medical uses have found their way to every continent on Earth. Today, as the prohibition against this plant is slowly being lifted around the world and our technological capacity grows exponentially, we finally have the opportunity to discover what this plant is truly capable of. Please join me, Matthew Myro, as I speak with the remarkable innovators working at the cutting edge of these discoveries. This is the Edge of Cannabis Medicine. This episode is brought to you by MJ.com and their brand new medical platform that they're rolling out in the San Francisco Bay Area. Have you visited MJ.com? MJ.com is the most trusted information source for all things cannabis. Whether you're a medical marijuana patient looking to find the right doctor or a consumer looking for exclusive savings at your favorite dispensary, MJ.com can bring you your favorite products right to your front door. Or maybe you're just a lover of the cannabis culture looking for the best original articles, interviews, podcasts, and educational information. MJ.com is the number one place to find everything you need. Visit MJ.com today. Hello, beautiful people. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Edge of Cannabis Medicine podcast. You know that this is the place to be to get all of your latest, most cutting-edge information out there from professionals working in the medical cannabis field, be they physicians, researchers, cultivators, innovators of any kind. I have them here on the show so that you can gain wisdom and knowledge from all of their experience. And if you haven't already, make sure to go over to Apple or Stitcher or Overcast or wherever it is that you are listening to this podcast and give me a rating. Let me know what you think of the show or just send me an email. I will get back to you, Matthew at edgeofcannabismedicine.com. Let me know what you think so that I can keep bringing you episode after episode like this one, which I am extremely excited to bring you. I have today Ben Shirelli, and Ben is the CEO of a company called Celebre, which has a fascinating bit of technology that is, as far as I can tell, completely unique within the medical cannabis space. He is using a process that he calls cellular agriculture. And I don't want to give too much away because this is so interesting. It is brand new. It is going to change the way that we look at cannabis and the way that we can use cannabis for anything. So with that I leave you with this interview with Ben Shirelli. I am Matthew Myro, and this is the Edge of Cannabis Medicine podcast, and today's guest is Ben Shirelli. Ben is a founder, investor, advisor, and connector. He is a mechanical engineer turned investment banker focused on the world of healthcare. In 2017, Ben ventured into the medical cannabis space with the founding of Celebre a cellular agricultural company working to enable the production of pharmaceutical-grade cannabinoids, alleviating the need for agriculture entirely and revolutionizing the way cannabinoid medicines 
are sourced, produced, and consumed. Ben, thank you so much for wanting to be on the show. I'm happy to have you here today. No, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Cool. Well, let's dive in. How do you make a jump from investor in traditional healthcare over to cannabis? Yeah, it's interesting. I'm actually the counterculture to the counterculture, right? I go to all these cannabis meetups and I'm a former investment banking Wall Street guy in the pharma industry entering into cannabis. So they love me. Um, no, I think, you know, what it, my, my journey has been kind of interesting. Um, you know, we're not really a cannabis company. We just happen to be making the beautiful medicines that come from that plant in a totally different way. Um, and that journey really is, is one of, of biotechnology. I, I had the honor and the privilege of working for a guy named Dr. Craig Venter. And for those of your listeners that don't know, Craig was the man who sequenced the first human genome back in the late 90s and announced it with Bill Clinton. Um, and he co-founded a company with another guy named Dr. Ham Smith. And Ham won a little thing called the Nobel Prize back in 1976. So, uh, you know, never be the smartest person in the room in there, I assure you, I was not. Um, so I got to work with them on this idea of biology as a manufacturing technology. Uh, and in that capacity of, of trying to understand how nature makes products, I came across cannabis. Um, and before my, my stint with Craig, I was actually working with a company trying to solve for the opioid epidemic. So we had done a lot of study into pain and into different uh, different modalities that could be used other than Tylenol, ibuprofen, and opioids to actually help those patients. So I had had some experience uh, studying the subject. Um, our chief clinical officer at that company actually wrote her first thesis on cannabis and pain. Um, and I kind of came full circle, right? And to be honest with you, um, I don't drink alcohol. I don't smoke anything. Nancy Reagan's This Is Your Brain on Drugs, Eggs in a Frying Pan absolutely worked on me. It's, the, it's probably the second best marketing campaign of all time, right? Um, and, but if you're intellectually curious at all, and you want to say, well, wait a second, everybody's not right about anything, and you really start digging in, the more layers you peel back on the onion when, it, when it's regard to the cannabis plant and kind of what that plant is made up of, it becomes very fascinating very quickly. Um, and you know, then you add to that the business side. It's not very often that the biggest consumer market on the planet comes out of prohibition in your lifetime. And if you can be a part of that, not only you know on the economic side, but also trying to be a part of building that industry in the right way for patients and consumers, it was an utter no-brainer for us, um, even though we knew it was going to be an absolute disaster to raise money for a biotech company that was getting into the space. So that's kind of the journey. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's quite a journey. So what are you doing? What is Celebre up to? How, how are you in the biological space, but keeping it separate from the plant itself? This is fascinating. Yeah. So the plant is biology, right? So of course. I think what everybody should be thinking about when they think about biology, um, just an interesting perspective on it, is that biology is a manufacturing technology. Every cell on the planet has little machines inside, and those machines are instructed by that cell's DNA to consume nutrients and turn those nutrients into stuff. And the vast majority of what they're turning those nutrients into is for life. It's for survival, right? It's the fundamental thing that all living creatures on the planet are doing. A great example is COVID-19. If you or someone you know gets COVID-19, your body immediately makes these medicines called antibodies because you have cells in your body that are medicine manufacturing facilities, right? They're tiny little cells that are instructed that when bad stuff comes in, 
make stuff to kill the bad stuff, right? Flowers, another great example. They make beautiful colors and dyes. They make beautiful fragrances by just taking nutrients from the soil. And the cannabis plant is one of the most complex, beautiful, and elegant examples of this. If you break it down to what that plant is actually doing, water, nutrients, sunlight, and it is simultaneously manufacturing over 400 different chemical compounds. That's crazy. If you ask someone to do that in a traditional manufacturing environment, their heads would explode. But that's the elegance of nature. It's, it's just well beyond kind of what we understand. Um, but what we do have the ability to do now is to harness that manufacturing capability and make those same natural products by allowing biology to do the work for us in a fundamentally different way. So I'll talk about CBD, but this is what we're doing. We'll be able to work in the Vs, THCV, CBDV, CBN, any cannabinoid that you can think of, THC, we will be able to make this same kind of method of production. So what we do is we take that really complex manufacturing facility that is the cannabis plant cell. And we say, where is the assembly line just for CBD? What if I just wanted to make CBD? We take out that machinery and that code and we pop it into a cell like yeast. And then we feed that yeast sugar water in a brewery, like any beer brewery you've ever been in. But instead of beer coming out the back end, what comes back the back end is pure natural CBD. Our nutrients that are the soil for cannabis is sugar water. And our cells that are cannabis plant cell are just yeast cells. So we're effectively making what we call cultured cannabinoids, cannabinoids via fermentation without the agricultural process involved. Wild. Wild. And so this is the biosynthesis process then. So biosynthesis is an interesting term because the cannabis plant does biosynthesis. Biosynthesis is a natural product of taking one chemical or one nutrient and turning it into another one. So every cell on the planet does biosynthesis. Um, so yes, this is, this is the biosynthesis of CBD or we do the biosynthesis of THC, but it's no different than the way the plant does the same function. We just do it in a different cell that happens to divide every 45 minutes versus taking three months to grow, which means ultimately... Um, not only will you get a more consistent outcome, so your products will be the same every single time. It's more of a kind of a pharmaceutical grade method of production, um, but you also drop the cost dramatically. And for me, that's a big important factor as to where this market goes, because not everybody can afford a $75 bottle of CBD oil if they're in pain. And if we can drive those costs down and allow more patients to access these medicines, to me, that's the, that's the home run. That's the game changer. Yeah. So this is totally different because everyone's focused on extraction at this point. And yep. you, have to, you have to grow all the biomass and then decide what to do with all that and then isolate the product and extract everything and then find just the CBD within that extraction. It's a nightmare and it costs a lot of money at this point. So... What are the cost advantages to what you're doing versus what the traditional extraction route is? Yeah, uh, I'm going to be a politician. I will answer that question last. I think what's really <laughs> okay. interesting um, is that I'm not necessarily worried about cost. What I'm worried about on cost side is cost parity at the beginning. Eventually, I want to drive it down, but at the beginning, I'm worried about cost parity. The really interesting thing here is um, I'm sure you and your listeners have either yourself or know somebody that has taken an edible and felt great, and then taken an edible out of that same package and gotten anxiety from it, even though they're the same product and the same brand, right? And the problem with cannabis, that kind of elegance and beauty that allows this plant to make 400 chemicals is the same thing that makes it a product development disaster. 
really inconsistent production from that plant. So first and foremost, we're providing consistency. We're making sure that your experience with that brand or that product is the same in China as it would be in Texas, as it would be in Portugal. We want that consistency of experience because that's critical for brand building. And that's critical for patient experience and for consumer experience, right? They want to have, they want to know what they're getting into before they get into it. Um, also super important from a regulatory perspective, that's a little bit boring, but if you make beer with 4.9% alcohol, dang well better have 4.9% alcohol in it, right? So as these things, as we start to move towards legalization and there becomes a regulatory framework around these things, um, we think that consistency point is just as, if not more important than price. Um, so that's number one. Number two is just in time. I put that in air quotes, manufacturing. So it takes you a three month growth cycle to grow cannabis on a good day, right? Then you have, like you said, all of those extraction processes. We run one fermentation every seven to 14 days right? So what you're now talking about is security of the supply chain in addition to that consistency. And what that means for brands is you don't have to worry if 20% of your grow goes down because of mold. We don't have those issues. You don't have to worry if you have to burn a whole crop because the THC levels are too high. We don't have those issues. We don't have to worry about we've got you know pesticides and heavy metals in the soil and they tested poorly and now we have to throw away that whole crop, right? This is truly kind of fermentation-based technology. So we don't have those variables that, that are on the outside of it and we know exactly what we're making. So um, we don't have kind of those macro environmental factors that we have to deal with. But to go to price, um, what's interesting about this technology is our cost to produce CBD or THC is the same as it will be to produce THCV or CBN. We don't care what the molecule is. The cost of goods is the same, which means we get access to these minor cannabinoids that we're finding are very, very interesting medicines. Um, so that's one thing we're very excited about. Number two, we basically aren't, you know, when we talk, we're making isolates, right? And a lot of people have the heebie-jeebies about isolates, and there's a bunch of talk about full spectrum and entourage effect, which I'm sure we'll get into and disagree on. Um, but what we're really trying to do is not make isolates. What we're really trying to do is deconstruct the plant into its individual components and then allow you to scale it. So if you have a favorite cultivar, like a Doug's variant that's high in THCV, we can mimic that exactly at scale. So we're trying to deconstruct that plant into its individual components. Ultimately, we are very confident that we will be, be between $1,000 and $1,500 per kilogram and very quickly moving to $500 per kilogram for pure isolate CGMP pharmaceutical grade, any one of those cannabinoids. And, there, and therefore, by definition, any combination thereof that you would like to put together, whether it's a CBD isolate for a topical or mimicking your favorite OG Kush cultivar for a vape pen. Yes, that's the part that's really fascinating to me is the potential for formulations. And, and so if you can take your favorite cultivar, like you're saying, and send it to the lab, get the breakdown of its cannabinoid constituencies, and then be able to recreate that for a much lower price in a way that doesn't depend on a plant growth, it's, uh, it's pretty fascinating. But one thing it doesn't do, Ben, how, how do you deal with the different flavonoids and terpenoids and things like that that are a necessary constituent to the medical efficacy? Yeah. Um, jury's out on medical efficacy. Um, but there are some interesting things with terpenes. Um, terpenes are a pure commodity. So I'll give you an example. There's a terpene called limamine that's found in the cannabis plant. 
It's also found in orange peels. It's found in citrus plants. It's found in a hundred different places. You can actually get the terpenes from the cannabis plant, not only from cannabis and hemp, but from a variety of sources in nature. So I'll give you a great example. A lot of people say, Ben, you're going to do away with the plant. Like we love the plant. Why would we ever need to grow the plant? That's nonsense. There is always going to be a very large, very robust market for the flower, for plant-derived, for understanding the source, for understanding who your farmer is. That market's always going to be massive. Where we're playing is, I think today's cannabis consumer is largely irrelevant 10 years from now. I think soccer moms, grandmas, athletes, people who want patches, pills, different form factors, that's where we play. We're not the craft brewery, we're the Bud Light. But what it, where it really becomes interesting, man, is we actually think we're synergistic with the flower folks. Um, and I'll tell you, I had a great conversation the other day with a guy named Dean, who's the founder of a company called Perfect Blends. Um, they are one of the only people with a perfect score uh, for their cannabis products. And what they do is they take cannabis blends in a pre-roll and they then infuse them with terpenes and cannabinoids to extend the st shelf life and stability but also bring consistency to the flower. So what's really interesting for me is that people say, oh, well, you can't play in the flower market. I say quite the opposite. I'm ecstatic to work with the, with the actual farmers and the agricultural side of the equation because we'll be able to bring to them really interesting things that they're trying to do through breeding today that they may not need to do through breeding. We might be able to help them put together really interesting products for different ailments by doing these things like infusions of different terpenes. Um, the other thing I would say to that is what is much more interesting to me along the same lines of today's cannabis consumers, largely irrelevant 10 years from now, is combining cannabinoids with terpenes and flavonoids that are not in the cannabis plant. So being able to take these really interesting medicines and instead of making it taste like pine trees, make it taste like blueberries, instead of having those being defined by the plant, using these other essential oils and, and terpenes and flavonoids that aren't in the plant, but also have interesting health benefits in, in combination with cannabinoids. So for me, what we're doing is we're opening up the ability to really experiment and formulate with these medicines in a way that has not been done, probably wouldn't be able to be done with the plant at scale. Yeah, it's a, I love it. But what do you say to detractors who are like, oh, this is a, a Frankenstein organization that you're running? And what, what do you say to those folks? Yeah, I, uh, I, I had the honor of speaking at South by Southwest um, in kind of a side, not on the main stage, but on kind of a side conference. The, uh, the, it was probably four or five years back. Um, and what I realized from that, uh, because obviously that is what I, I got a young man with purple hair stand up and yell at me for ruining the planet. Um, and I had a great conversation with him, by the way, I ended up buying him lunch afterwards. Um, cause I just love having those conversations when you have disagreement. Um, it, it's, it's very, very, it's very, very interesting because, the, most of the people that will say this is Frankenstein and then you're using GMO and you're, you're messing with nature and yada, yada, yada are the same people that are worried about things like climate change, right? And worried about the environment. And if we truly want to solve that problem, actually the single best way to solve it is nature itself. And let me give you an example of that. Our technology, when, what would take you a 5 million square foot grow and extraction operation Think about all the energy use, all the arable land use, all the water use. Our technology can do the same volume per annum in less than 50,000 square feet, 100x less the footprint. 
So what we're talking about here is making the same exact medicines. CBD doesn't have DNA, it's a chemical, right? All these things are chemicals. There's no DNA associated with them. So we're making the same exact medicines. We're allowing nature to make them via the cells. We're just feeding them nutrients, sugar in our case, instead of nutrients from the soil. And we're doing it in a much more sustainable, much more consistent, and much more economical way, again, to kind of increase that, that access. I understand that not everybody's going to agree with that right? Some people will just be like, nope, I need it from the plant. And that's totally fine. I think that's why we need all of these, these different aspects. But I think the, the market opportunity is so large. And we also have to remember that it's not just humans. There's a study being done right now for anxiety in elephants at zoos using cannabinoids, right? So animal health is such an interesting market to me, older cats and dogs with arthritic conditions or inflammation. So there are so many opportunities to kind of bring these beautiful things that nature makes to all of these different markets, but do it in a way where it's economically feasible and consistent. Um, so I, I don't know that I will ever change hearts and minds there, right? But I think you, you should look at this technology with an open mind and say, oh, it's a little scary on the surface, but let me dig a little bit deeper and find out what exactly are they doing? Why are they doing it? And what is the outcome of it, right? I think you have to look past the headline with this one. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And so what, what are you doing in, in terms of convincing these people like with, your, with your marketing, with making sure people are like, okay, this is not synthetic. This is not GMO. These are all natural processes. What, what, what's the process of making sure that you're eliminating some of that stigma that comes from people that pr frankly love this plant. Yeah. And, and by the way, you're never, I don't know that you're going to change their mind. And I don't know that I want to, if people have, if people have a deep connection to the plant itself and there are millions of those, right. I don't want to change that. I mean, they, they're having a great life experience. They, they, they have a relationship with the plant that is benefiting them in numerous ways. I would never want to change that. I'd love to augment it. I'd love to see if I can help make it better, right? But like I said, I don't think that they're the end consumer for us in, in many cases. Some are. Some are like, you know what? I'd love to have your technology when I'm taking an edible, but I still want my flower products on the side, right? I think there's, there's those things. I think the other thing is people have no idea what they consume. You know, we like to talk a lot about, oh, I'm a, you know, I eat this certain way or I only take these things or I know what's in my food. Let's use one example, fish oil. Do you take fish oil supplements or DHA supplements or consume anything with DHA in it? Cod liver oil, yeah. Okay. Do you think that comes from a fish? <laughs> I do, I do. Yeah. The, well, especially with the source that I try to pull it from, but I see what you're Most going. Of it, go, go on. Most of it comes from a vat in the middle of Iowa where they ferment the algae that it starts from. Okay. So fish oil, DHA actually isn't from fish. It's actually bioconcentrated up into the fish. It actually starts with an algae in the sea. So we, our CSO and CTO actually developed a platform where we took that algae and we moved it into a fermentation tank so that that algae becomes the production vehicle for the DHA, not the fish. Right? right. And people may say, oh, I want my fish oil. Right. Well, why do you want to take all those fish out of the ocean and kill them? Why do you want to mess with that ecosystem when we could build a four story high that and make you the same exact product in a more consistent and economical way. And you get the same health benefits, right? So I, I think the other thing is we are very much um, not a marketing company. Um, and by the way, the brands have very different views on this, right? So some brands would consider what we're doing not viable for their labeling. Other brands would say, oh, this fits right in. We have ingredients made the same way and we brand them natural, vegan, kosher, right? Our, our technology can get 
even an organic label, believe it or not, even though we never touch a plant. And it's because these technologies are used very, very often. But there's a lot of, it's a lot of misinformation. It starts with things like biosynthesis, right? If I was a layman and I heard biosynthesis, I'd be, I would run for the hills, right? But that's just a natural process, which is why we've coined the term cellular agriculture for this. And if you go to a bunch of our competitors, they've taken, a, taken kind of our lead on that and switched all of their language to cellular agriculture as well, because it's not as off-putting from the beginning, right? Because again, first layer of the onion you might get a little freaked out, but peel it back with me. Let me tell you exactly what's happening here. And then you can make your decision. If you disagree with it, great, but understand exactly what we're doing to produce this stuff. Understand the products that are coming out the back end and understand the benefits and the cons associated with it, right? And then as a consumer, you have to make your choices. Um, but I really believe that from a, from a patient perspective, especially when you talk about consistency of experience and from a regulatory perspective, you better have the same thing in every one of your products every single time. Um, I think this is going to be a much more uh, efficient and accepted technology um, when we start thinking about legalization on a on a broader scale. Absolutely, and so when it becomes when it becomes more regulated, when the industry does come under some kind of federal standardization process, and a lot of people believe it will move towards the more traditional pharmaceutical model. Will you be able to apply your products as ingredients for pharmaceutical products? So we see three markets. Um, there are the GW Pharmas of the world um, who are the pharmaceutical companies. Um, it, newsflash to all of your listeners, pharma does not care about cannabis. They, the one big misconception that I hear all the time people yelling about at, at these conferences and these gatherings and, you know, uh, and, and all of these different events is pharma, big pharma is going to take our cannabis. And, but pharma doesn't care. Pharma would much... So if you talk to GW Pharmaceuticals, I assure you that they would much rather have a non-natural product versus CBD to fight childhood epilepsy. Because now CBD is CBD, whether it's made by GW or it's made by your favorite CBD brand or whether it's made by us. CBD, you can't change what CBD is. So GW has to fight with walmart.com for CBD for childhood epilepsy, right? Um, they would much, pharma would much rather have what's called a non-natural derivative, meaning a product that doesn't exist in nature, because if that product doesn't exist in nature, they can patent it and they can get 15 years of exclusivity, right? You can't patent CBD. Good luck to you. It doesn't work, right? So pharma is, is not the enemy, but today 50% of the world's medicines are made using technologies like ours. So whether you're talking about natural products or whether you're talking about those derivatives that I just spoke of, we think the vast majority of the market will move our way. It's just a better means of production for consistency and cost of goods are not an issue for pharma. They don't make their money on volume. They make their money on price. They've, they put $500 million to $700 million. I think it costs GW Pharmaceuticals $700 million to bring that product to market. And they get their return based on price, right? It's not a, it's not a volume game. It's a price game. Um, on the other side of the equation, there are two interesting markets. It's the cannabis market that I'm sure all of your listeners and you are familiar with, the adult use market that I think is going to evolve really rapidly post legalization and post-regulatory, I can tell you every big CPG brand has products ready to go. They have the formulations done. They have the form factors done. And by the way, it's been that way for a decade. They are just waiting. And it's not even regulatory for them. It's marketing. So I sell baby products 
do I really want to get into the game of cannabis and get a bad headline at this point? So they're really working on consumer sentiment and making sure that that kind of flips before they get in the game. And then I just think animal health is one of the most interesting areas that not enough people talk about in cannabis. I think there's a lot of amazing uses in there, even to the point where cows for milk don't produce a lot of milk when they're sick or when they're in pain. And if you could take that pain away, those cows produce more milk, right? And what's really interesting about what we're doing is our whole cells can be used as animal feed. So you literally could just feed them the cells. We don't even have to purify anything for those animal feed markets. It can be a supplement there. So we think all of those markets are viable. Um, We think they're all very, very interesting. But post-legalization, when there's a regulatory framework, we talk to farmers, everybody from the large MSOs that are operating multi-states all the way to small independent family farms in Oregon. And we're saying, guys, how can we be helpful to you? Like, we, I want to see everybody kind of win this game. I want to understand their genetics and how we might be helpful to them. But also, can we augment your products in some way to make them interesting, to make them more consistent, to help you when the regulators come in and they say, your products are too all well over the place. Can we be helpful there, right? So I think consistency is going to be consistency and purity and you know not having heavy metals pesticides molds all of those things are going to be super critical and if you're a farmer right now or a brand right now you need to be thinking about how you solve those problems yesterday not when federal legalization happens because the big guys are already ready to go yeah and that's such a major issue i was a cultivator for years and in getting testing that's why you have a an independent lab test everything and they have to send someone to your grow facility in order to be able to pull places from all over the room because you can have parts from, say you're growing 10 different plants, you can have parts from plant number three that test totally different than plant number 10. And it's it's really, really challenging to have that kind of consistency. But I'm really seeing the wisdom in what you guys have going on to be able to augment that and to be able to create that consistency. It's powerful. Should we talk about the plants a little bit? Like, forget me. Should we talk about the plants a little bit? Yeah, we could talk as much as you want about the plants. What so would you like to I, say? Uh, yeah. So, I, so people will hate this, but they shouldn't. Um, a good friend of mine, uh, his name is Dr. Todd Michael. He works at the Salk Institute. He used to run genomics for a little company called Monsanto, one of the favorites in the cannabis industry. Uh, but Todd had a really interesting role there. He was not a GMO guy. He was not a Roundup Ready guy. What he was doing was sequencing plants to understand their genome and then determining from their genetics which plants to breed and cross to get a certain outcome. So Todd was working with traditional farmers on traditional breeding methods, but using biotechnology and genetics to inform that breeding. And when you do that, you can do it from the seedling level. You, don't, you can actually even do it to the seed level. You can, you can actually do it at the seed level before you even grow a plant. But at the very least, you can do it at the seedling level. And then you don't have to worry about growing the plants and actually seeing what the phenotype is or what the chemical profile of the plant is, right? So the plant fascinates us scientifically. It's really, really complex. The problem with the plant and the reason that people can't get it consistent is that the cannabinoid production functions in the plant are likely not native to the plant. The plant likely didn't have those from the beginning. It was likely genetically inserted at some point via virus. And it is also not primary to the plant's survival. The plant doesn't need to make THC to survive. It's It's a secondary or tertiary thing that the plant does. As a result of that, if it's not for survival, 
the plant doesn't care about it. So any little stress, whether that be the microbes in your soil are different, the temperature is different, the water conditions are different, can send those secondary and tertiary kind of metabolisms or what those plants are producing completely haywire all over the place. And what's screwed up about the COAs and the testing that you were talking about is number one, I think the testing regulations are like three inches or five inches from the top of the plant. The bottom of the plant is totally different from the top. So you don't even have the same chemical concentrations within the same plant, let alone plant to plant, let alone crop to crop, right? So, you know, if I was, a, if I was an agriculture guy, I would be doing this just like the wine industry. I would just own the variability and I would say, listen, this is our Q1 2021 vintage of this cultivar. And here's the experience you're going to get from it. And PS next quarter, going to be different. And we'll tell you why. And then it almost becomes, you know, kind of a collector's uh, or a, you know, a little bit more artisan than it would be. But the plant is hard to get consistent because of its inherent biology. Um, The other interesting thing about the plant is that North American cannabis is not that interesting. There's a cultivar called cherry, um, and there's a company, Phylos Biosciences, that was in the news for all the wrong reasons, but they're, they're actually a really great company that was doing kind of the genetic testing on some of these plants. And they used to have this tool called the Galaxy, which showed you all the cultivars that they had sequenced and kind of their genetics and how they relate to one another. If, and I think it's down now, but if anybody can find it, if you go to that and you type in C-H-E-R-R and look at that Galaxy, 90% of all of those plants that they sequenced all come from the same genetics. We have been breeding the same plant for increased THC for 70 years. And it's all the same genetics. What becomes really interesting is when we're able to import the stuff from Asia, the Middle East, and Africa, where the plant came from originally, those kind of pure, natural, original genetics versus what we have in in North America today. Um, That breeding is why you have mold problems and why you have biological contaminant problems because you had to breed the plant indoors because it was illegal. You couldn't be doing it outside in the open, right? And when you breed plants indoors, their natural defense mechanisms go away. The the biology doesn't do useless stuff, right? Biology is really efficient with its resources. And if you breed it inside and it says, wait a second, I'm inside. I'm pretty safe in here. I don't need to have resistance genes to molds. So I'll just let those go away and I'll use my energy for something else like growing taller right? And getting closer to the sun as an example. So those resistance genes have gone away. And as a result of that, you now have big issues growing the plant with a, from a mold. I know people who lose 20 to 30% of their grow every quarter because of these biological contaminants, right? And it's because of the way that we've read the plant and shame on the government. It's because the government didn't open this up and didn't allow people to do things in the proper way and, and put something into you know, prohibition that never should have been because they were worried about the paper industry, right? Um, so yeah, the plant is super fascinating. It's a really difficult one. The genome is so complex. Yeah, incredible. And I, I interviewed a fellow named Nixon Toussaint, who's a caregiver and helping his wife with her. She's a, a nurse and she has her own facility where she brings in patients and all that. And and he was doing that a lot and really helping people and really seeing results. And he's from Haiti. He went back to his native Haiti, met up with some Rastas, as he said, and found these guys that had been growing these plants in the mountains, these native strains for decades, and found so much more benefit from these plants as opposed to the ones that he was getting that were the high-powered, beautiful colas and things like that that he could get in the States. It's So yeah, a lot of what you're saying. Yeah, if you have an interest in that, I actually... 
Yeah, I became friends with a guy um, named Jim who is with the Thai Cannabis Corporation. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of them. Thailand is a really interesting geographical area and and kind of historical area for cannabis. Uh, And Jim is with the Thai Cannabis Corporation and they're, they're thinking through the strategy of, you know, these, not only in Thailand, but these smaller countries that are very, very well suited for growing this plant in its natural environment and how to the, how do they commercialize and bring these products kind of more broadly? He's a really interesting guy. They're a really interesting follow. They just hired um, the guy who used to run the narcotics division for the UN to run the Thai Cannabis Corporation. So very well-networked guy who understands, you know, all of the regulatory issues associated with all of these things. Um, but for, for my money, I, if, if, you know, I was a plant person and, and really wanted to dig deep, I want to be in Asia, Africa, and the Middle East, because that's where these plants originated. And that's where kind of the purest genetics are. And understanding those, uh, I think would be a fascinating exercise. I completely agree. And, uh, the medical benefits of THC are, I don't know, they, who knows what they are? Some people say that they're really great for pain. Other people say that they're really what helps you a lot with your mental states and things like that. Keeping the percentage growing and growing and growing and growing doesn't seem to do any good for anybody beyond just blasting your mind off and which I don't know if that's good or not. That's debatable. So trying to find these more indigenous strains where the THC count is a little bit lower, you probably are going to find a much higher medical efficacy from getting that entourage effect, or as I like to say, the ensemble effect from the whole thing. So that's my segue to get into there. So let's to get into yeah get, get into, into the entourage effect yeah 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 so um so first of all I like to eliminate the entourage effect from my vocabulary entirely because an entourage means that you have a central figure with a bunch of people just hanging around and so what we know is that you know there's two figures really that are the central figures within the cannabis plant the THC and the CBD so we call it an ensemble effect so that everybody has a seat at the table and that we don't want to put anybody above anybody else. So that's first of all. So second of all, very politically correct of you. Thank you. <laughs> I got that from uh, Dr. Block, Dr. Jeffrey Block. That's, that's his big push. And he's a, a pretty big heavy hitter in the endocannabinoid sciences. Um, anyway, so by creating the isolates that you guys are doing, there seems to be a significant drop off in the medical efficacy of these isolates without the other minor cannabinoids to be hanging about and doing their thing. What do you say to that? Yeah. Um, well, first I say, remember, we're making isolates to start, but the goal is to deconstruct the plant into its individual components. Um, the other goal is to allow smart people like the gentleman that you just mentioned to actually study these things. Um, it is statistically and scientifically not possible for it to be a combination of 400 chemicals that's providing the efficacy, right? It's just that that is not going to be the end game. Is it one Probably not. Is it two? Probably not. Is it five? Maybe. Is it 10? Maybe. Is it 20? Maybe. The reality is none of us know. And, uh, you know, one of the things I hate um, being as part of a scientific organization is when people definitively say things like, you have to have broad spectrum to see efficacy. 
That's just not true. And by the way, might not be true for every person. Every individual reacts to different chemistries and different form factors and different delivery mechanisms very, very differently. So I think there is absolutely a place for isolate type things, whether it be in cosmetics or topicals or you know the FDA approved drug for GW Pharma, which a lot of people in cannabis hate and don't think the data is very good uh, or very supportive. I still think there's a there there. Um, what I'm much more interested in is being able to deconstruct this so we can study it and say, well, wait a second, is it CBD and THC? So for instance, uh, you know, they're the methyl esters or the, you know, some of these derivatives of THC are found to be 10 to 20 times more potent than THC, which means you need 10 to 20 times less of it to have the same efficacy. So is it really THC or is it some of these other derivatives of THC that's driving the efficacy? I don't think we know the answers to that. And this is where it becomes very exciting for us is we're basically saying, look, let's deconstruct it and let's start studying these things. Maybe we're totally wrong about the whole plant period. Maybe it is some of these minor cannabinoids that are driving the efficacy and we just don't have access to them because of the nature of the way the plant does its production. So I'm very excited to work with those folks uh, and say, you know, what, what can CBN really do? What can CBC really do? What can the Vs really do? What is the efficacy there? And if we start combining them with other things, do we have synergistic effects? So when I say the entourage effect is nonsense, I do that to be a little bit provocative, right? Um, I always start all the conversations with cannabis isn't medicine and the entourage effect is bullshit just to get people on their heels a little bit so that we can talk about it. It's only a half truth, right? Um, I think it, what you do see is that there is absolutely synergistic impacts between cannabinoids and combinations of cannabinoids. I just don't think anybody's smart enough, nor do we have enough data to understand what those interactions actually are and what the driving forces behind them actually are. So that is what we, as scientists, this isn't a market, we are super excited for that. I am very excited. And by the way, I don't want to do that work. So I want to work with people who are much smarter than me that are saying, we have a thesis, let us study it. And I'll give them all the material they need to go study that. And let's actually figure out what's going on in this plant and how that plant interacts with our body. And I think we're going to find some very interesting optimal formulas across a wide variety of conditions and health matters where the cannabis plant and these cannabinoids can actually solve them. I, 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 if I want, listen, there's easier ways to make money than early stage biotech. If I wasn't bought into that piece of it, I wouldn't be here. Um, and that's what I personally am most excited about is unlocking this plant and really studying it so we can get the full breadth of power from it, not just the kind of fringes that I truly believe we're on today. I 100%. I completely agree, actually. This is truly what I believe the future to be. And creating almost like the, the biomimicry of being able to go in and understand what the plant is doing so you can create formulations by growing these molecules in a lab, wild, but I, I love it. I, I truly love it. And I want to try to push you a little bit because I want to understand more. And I want no, our beat me audience, up. I want our audience to understand more because I think it's fascinating. And, and like I said, I think it's the direction that we have to go. If we're going to truly recognize this as a medicine, first of all, we have to realize that the idea of combustion is just 
deleterious to our health. We have to get rid of that whole idea. If you want to smoke a joint, more power to you. You should have that kind of sovereignty over your own consciousness and enjoy yourself. But if you want to talk about it as medicine, we have to steer in a bit of a different direction. And to be able to create these different formulations where you can find the proper amounts of CBN, CBG, CBDV, and put them all together in a way that you really helps for, I don't know, anti-anxiety or depression or whatever it might be. This is going to be the future. And I'm just as excited as you are, I think. Yeah. Well, Sorry, there's it, no so question it, in there. That was just me being grateful. No, no, no. So I, I think what's interesting is the form factor and formulation point is one that often gets missed in the cannabis industry. And I would argue it's the most important one. Um, there's, there's a company called Receptors Life Sciences. Uh, my friend Greg runs that company they actually have an inhaler technology for cannabinoids where it's actually inhaled through the lungs, um, just like your asthma medicine would be, right? These delivery form factors are just as critical as the cannabinoids themselves for bioavailability, for uptake, for where it gets in your bloodstream and in your system. Um, and I think the technologies on that side are very, very interesting. And again, I agree with you completely. I'm a freedom guy. Do what you want. If you want to smoke a joint, smoke a joint. But I think that that part of the market, while massive, is a fraction of where this market goes 10 years from now. And that is why, I, that is why we were so excited to get into this, because we are enabling those companies, those innovators, those brands, those pharmaceutical companies to really think about <clears throat> cannabinoids as ingredients and defining their product and their brand by themselves rather than having the plant define it for them. And we think that that's the future. I could be totally wrong there. Um, but that's kind of our thesis on the entire market. And so is this, is your, what you're creating, is it able to be micronized in order to be inhaled in some kind of product like that? What we make is a white powder. So is CBD, THC, a lot of people don't know this. Um, those are white powders. They're chemicals. They're not an oil. That oil that you consume is actually just fat from the plant. Um, and it's part of that process. Um, getting those white powders from that oil is a very difficult process. So what we make is that white powder. It'll truly be an ingredient like sugar or flour. Um, and then the technologies that encase that are what we're really talking about, right? Um, this is another thing that I think the cannabis industry really underestimates is that these large companies have been doing formulation science for since the beginning of time, right? I give you a great example, the DHA example that we went to before. There's a company called Ferminich that you've probably never heard of. They are massive. What they do, they are one of the coolest companies I've ever met. They do flavor and fragrance science um, to the point where they actually do neurological studies on how consumers interpret certain flavors and certain fragrances, right? Like neuroscience-based research to figure out what the right flavor is. If you make fish oil, um, DHA from algae, guess what it tastes like and smells like? Fish. Gross fish. Yeah. A gross. I mean, it comes out of the, from, you can't even stand next to it. It's that gross. It's like we put the fish on the deck of the boat for three days and then came back to give it a whiff, right? It's gross. And we started talking to these people and they're like, we were like, what can we do? Like, we can't do anything with this. You can't make a product with this. What do we do? They said, send it over to us. In like a month, they send us back lemon bars that have massive amounts of our smelly, stinky DHA in them. These bars tasted like lemons, smelled like lemon. They were beautiful, right? And, and, and the same thing goes to making these molecules less hydrophobic or the ability to put them into beverages and not have them stick to the can 
like they do with a lot of these products that are out there today, right? These technologies exist. They're currently and always being, you know, enhanced. That's not our game. There's plenty of smart people that are out there working on it. We would be more partners for them to say, hey, you have an, an interesting science around getting these molecules more stable, uh, getting them to, to be bioavailable, getting them to work in beverages or different form factors. Let us just be your ingredient provider. I'll give you the CBN at the same price as CBD, and then you'll be able to make those products accordingly. This is not a one company is going to win it all game right? There's too many disparate scientific disciplines that need to go into making a proper product. And, you know, my sound belief is do what you're good at, right? And what we're good at is turning cells into little mini manufacturing facilities for really cool products. Everything else we're going to partner, um, especially on the brand side. The brand side, I, people were like, Ben, will you build your own brand? I, I'm like, to me, building a brand is more binary than bio. I don't get it. Like why someone buys the product because they saw it on Instagram, whatever that is, I'll never understand, right? I just, that's not my world. Uh, you kind of have to stay in your lane and do what you're good at. And, and what we're good at is the, is the fermentation of natural products. Right. So let, let everybody else worry about creating their brand, which is so hard to do. Yeah. It goes back to our off-camera conversation around creativity. No idea. Yeah. 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 God bless your better half, man. Yeah, but it, it's fascinating to be able to partner with all those folks because speed of activation is really important depending on what you're taking the medicine for. You know, if it's pain, you want that onset immediately. And so yeah. something like an inhaler is going to work great for that. But if it's more like a steady state anxiety or depression thing, you can take a pill once or twice a day and have that be okay because it's going to synthesize in your belly at a different rate. So. And you don't care. And you just, you just give them the product and let them figure that out. Yeah, that's the beauty of the business side of it, right? Is that, and people say, Ben, are you in biotech and you're going to have to take molecules through the clinic? I said, no, we're just going to supply it to all 200 companies that are trying to do that. And if one of them wins, great. And the ones that lose, it doesn't matter to me because we make these things in the same exact way, regardless of what the ultimate end use is. Yeah. And when do you see yourself moving into these other more minor cannabinoids? Uh, right away. So it's funny, a bunch of the people who also do this science are like very cheeky about what products they're going to be making. So, um, and I don't understand why, because if you just study the plant for three seconds, you'll know exactly what everybody's making. Um, the first product that we will all make is CBG and CBGV. And the reason for that is those are the mother cannabinoids. Those are the cannabinoids from which all other cannabinoids are made. They're the foundation, right? So by definition, we have to make a cell that makes CBG and CBGV before we can make the other cannabinoids. So uh, we're actually already able to produce these in the lab today at very small quantities. We were able to get from literally not having a lab to having a cell that can make CBG in less than 12 months. And that's kind of a testament to the scientific team here. They're, they're utterly worldly. Um, they're, they're unbelievably good at what they do. Um, and then the next product for us is going to be CBD. And that's much more kind of a market size and regulatory thing than it is a technical ability to make the other ones. Um, the one thing about this technology is it's all about scale. Um, we need to have the ability to go from our lab into massive fermentation tanks. Otherwise, the economics don't work. So biomanufacturing or using biology to, to make products is all about being able to get to scale. So for us, the markets need to be big enough. So what we'll likely do is start isolating some of these minor cannabinoids for companies to start playing with and studying and formulating. And I think when we find things like, hey, THCV is an appetite suppressant, holy crap, you're going to need a lot of that. 
right? And then then you start scaling the production platform for that. So what our lab actually looks like, and if you ever come to San Diego, I'd love to have you by, by the way, we have big refrigerators in the back where we have individual cells that make individual cannabinoids. So we have a CBD cell, we have a THC cell, we have a CBDV cell. So we'll have a hundred plus of those that sit in the, sit in the, um, in the refrigerator, in the freezer, minus 80 degrees, very cold. Um, don't touch it without gloves on, by the way, when you're taking the cells out, stupid business guy did that once. Not good. Um, yeah. So putting your tongue on the flagpole in wintertime. That's right. Totally (laughs) that, that was me. Um, super smart. I'm super smart. I promise. Um, so what we will be able to do then, and what's really interesting is we can do it globally because these cells don't make anything. We can actually ship them wherever we want to ship them. So the second that we're ready to make one of these, what you do is you take those cells out of the freezer, you grow them up, and then you're popping them into the fermentation tank, feeding them sugar, and you're off to the races. So one of the really interesting things is we're having conversations with our friends in Canada who are pretty good at brewing stuff, by the way, and saying, hey, do you really want to grow a tropical plant on the tundra or would you rather brew this stuff, right? Um, And we can send ourselves across across the, the borders because they don't make anything, right? They're just cells. Um, so we have the ability to, to really think about partnerships on a global basis um, because we're not actually shipping the finished product anywhere. Uh, we're just shipping the manufacturing facility infrastructure, right? Which is our little cells. Yeah. So very cool. It's very cool. Um, and I want to jump over to the regulatory side real quick. And so hypothetically speaking, they come out with a regulation that says that we the only way to move this product forward is in a pharmaceutical model where you have to be prescribed by a doctor for the specific type of medication which is likely a formulation of different cannabinoids do you see yourself being able to fit into that model or are you guys in more of like the nutraceutical realm right now like being at food additives and supplements and things yeah so do you mean cannabis broadly or just for our technology um, just for your technology, can, saying that can, cannabis broadly goes in that direction. So there's a, there's an adult use lane and then there's a medical lane that is dictated by the pharmaceutical industry as we know. And it. we would only be able to play in the medical lane is what you're saying. Uh, where would you see yourself playing? Everywhere. Okay. And, and what's really interesting is the U S government really doesn't know how to classify this stuff. We actually just went through a 12 month process to get our DEA license because they were like, you're doing what? Well, I'm, we're confused, right? California was the, the worst. They kept kicking us back and forth between agencies because we kept getting kicked to the cannabis board and the cannabis board was like, you don't touch plants. Like, we don't know what to do with you. Go to this one. Um, interestingly, we found out that we just needed to get a DEA license and then we were good to go in the state of California. So for all you want, wondering, scheduled, scheduled drugs, just a DEA license, plastic straws, totally off limits in California. Makes, makes complete sense. Um, so we, we went through that entire process. What's, what, the way that this works is a bunch of your ingredients today are made via this technology. So the FDA loves this technology because of consistency, because of purity, because you don't have any of the external macro factors that can contaminate it. The regulators love this technology. Um, and the approval process is different. So in the FDA process, we would just be a part 
of the dossier or the filing that those that those companies would make for their drug. We would just be on the production side. Here's how we make the medicine. But the vast majority of that filing is, here's what the medicine is. Here's what the mechanism of action or what that medicine does from an efficacy perspective. And here's the data associating that with, the, with that efficacy and showing that this actually works for a specific therapeutic condition. Very expensive, very long process. We would be included as the manufacturing piece of that so that they know that they're making it consistently. On the adult use side, nutraceuticals, ingredients, consumer packaged goods, there's an approval process called GRASS, generally regarded as safe. And uh, a lot of people think that GRASS approval is around an ingredient itself. Like if CBD is GRASS approved, then, oh, I can make CBD and put it in anything. That's actually not the case. GRASS approval is an approval of the production process. It includes the molecule itself being safe, but it's also is the production process safe. That is a much less rigorous, still difficult. You still have to check all your boxes, but it's a much less rigorous process than the FDA approval process. Anybody making cannabinoid-based products with these cannabinoids will have to go through that grass approval, and they will have to have their production CGMP in order to do that, right? So, um, you know, we view it as going through kind of that grass approval process from a regulatory perspective, but right now you can't do that because it's federally illegal and therefore those departments don't have jurisdiction over it. It's the most ludicrous, it is ludicrous that we are allowing this to happen on a state-by-state level and the regulators cannot get involved. And as a result of it, patients are getting hurt because let's be honest, there are some bad players and bad actors out there. And if we just got smart about it and said, hey, people should kind of be free to do what they want. And hey, this is the most studied plant in history and it's never killed anybody. Let's get real about this. I mean, eventually, the you know what's going to turn it is the tax revenue. Let's be honest; they just want more power and more money wherever they are in their jurisdiction. Um, but if they would just get some common sense around it, it would be much better for patients and consumers, and we could get this this rock and rolling, right? So, I think eventually you're going to have to go through that grass approval process. I think consistency is going to be critical. You cannot have products that are different, especially ones that are intoxicating. We use the wrong the term psychoactive wrong in this industry a lot. CBD is psychoactive. It does have an impact on your brain chemistry and, and uh, your cognitive ability. Um, I like to use intoxicating for, for THC and the derivatives thereof, because I think it's a more, a more apt word. Um, I think for those products, the regulatory inconsistency is going to be super critical. I don't think you're going to get off the ground unless you're, unless you're able to, to really ensure safety in that regard. Yeah, definitely. And so it seems that you guys are almost regulation proof, if you will. You'll be able I'll to tell you what's real. So think sides. about the seed. Think about the seed to sale crap, right? Think about those poor companies. And by the way, they're doing it so they can tax you at every single level of building your products. But you have seeds. You plant the seeds. Those seeds become a plant. That plant that moves to the the actual drying process and all the all the finished good stuff that you have to do. Then that flower moves to an extraction facility. Then you're doing all the extractions. Now you have your broad spectrum extraction, and you have to then track it to where you're making your isolate from that. All those different steps. We're sugar in one door, cannabinoid out the other door. Right. That's it. There's nothing to track. So from a regulatory perspective, especially when you're talking about things like THC that are intoxicating, we think we're advantaged to not having to figure out where the heck everything goes because it's all enclosed in one facility, right? Um, so, you know, this is one of those that just checks all the boxes, brother. I, I you know, it, it, if you think about this industry on every level, this technology just makes too much sense. 
It really does. It really does. And it eliminates all the nonsensical licensure that states like California have. A farmer can't take his product to the place that's going to sell it. There has to be somebody else with another license that becomes the broker between them. It's like, what, what well, they got to tax it there. They got to tax it. It's got to be yeah. taxed at every it's, level. Exactly. It's so nuts. It's so nuts. I, I'll never forget. We. Uh, I'm not a consumer, but I know a lot of consumers. So I always go to, we actually are down the street from Tory Holistics. Do you know Tory Holistics by no, chance? I'm not familiar, no. First recreational license in California. Hmm. And they're right down the street from us. So super cool group down there. And I go down just to get products and give them to the, the folks here at the company or friends that, that actually use them. But I want to know what's the pricing. The first time I went in to buy something, 50% of the cost was taxation. 50 and now we expect pain patients to be able to pay for drugs that are twice as expensive as they should be, medicines that are twice as expensive as they should be. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. The pharmaceutical industry has the same issues, by the way. 50% of your drug price that you spend on a pharmaceutical actually does not go to the company that makes your medicine. It goes to all the middlemen. Mm-hmm. Crazy mm-hmm. enough. Yeah. I mean, it's why the black market is thriving right now. It's because all the, especially in the legal states. Yeah. Why, why are you going to pay 80 bucks for, for a gram when you can get a gram for 20 bucks from the guy that you've known for 20 years? Yeah, it's exactly right. It's exactly right. Yeah, it's sad. So anything else you want to cover, Ben? No, not from my perspective, not unless you want to beat me up on anything else. No, I, I can't beat you up. I'm too into what you're doing. <laughs> love it, man. Yeah, I, I, I think well, it's Well, we would love to have you. We would love it. If you're ever down here in Southern California, I'd love to have you by the lab. Um, we could actually make a day of it and, and introduce you to a bunch of the, the cannabis companies here in San Diego that are doing really cool stuff. There's a bunch down here from, you know, from biotech like us to retail. Um, and happy to, to make any warm introductions I can as you continue on your journey learning and, and bringing those learnings to your audience. For sure. I would love that. And I appreciate that invitation very much. Yeah. So I got one last question for you before we go, though. If there's something within the medical cannabis industry that you could change right now, what would that change be? Claims without evidence. I like when, you know, you go and you see all of these things that cannabis literally cures every disease ever and you're telling patients that, I think that's extremely harmful. Even if, it's, even if it turns out to be true, I think until we have the evidence, please don't take patients down the wrong path, right? I think we, we owe it to patients and consumers to do the hard research, to do the science, to truly understand what's going on. Um, and I would hate to see this industry that has so much potential really hit rocky roads from the beginning because we're not doing things the right way. So I would say, you know, we should... Always, always, always be putting patients and consumers first, period. The other stuff will flow if we do that. Um, because remember, our patients are our voters and our voters drive what happens in DC and, and kind of locally. So to me, I, uh, and by the way, when I came into this in 2017, it was much worse than it is today. I think the industry has matured a ton since then. Uh, but that would be the one thing that I would change is, is let's do the work, right? Let's do the work. We owe it to people. Yeah, I completely agree. And I guess I'm going to keep taking this conversation a little further, if you don't mind. So the major inhibitor to being able to do that work is the schedule one status of cannabis currently. And you, you just, you can't get studies done. The FDA won't approve them. And you guys aren't using the plant. So in theory, what you're doing isn't quite scheduled the same way that the DEA schedules things, but you had to have a DEA license. Can you do this research that needs to be done using the, the systems that you're using as opposed to trying to do it with a plant? 
Yeah. So we can study anything, but you do have to get a DEA license. We're scheduled the exact same way as the plant is. Um, Their definitions are a little bit wrong, but we're scheduled. And we always try and do it the right way, right? We went, we've done a ton of education with the DEA on this. Um, We spent a lot of time with them uh, to make sure that, um, to make sure that they kind of understand exactly what we're doing and what we're making and all of those, all of those good things. Um, the first thing I would say is, um, that's a U.S. problem. It's a very domestic problem. Places like Canada, places like Israel, there are other jurisdictions, uh, like Thailand actually, where you can do a lot of this research. I think the big limiting factor on the research is actually that the plant is just too dang complex. We don't know what's driving what because there's a hundred bioactive molecules in there mixed in with a bunch of terpenes and flavonoids, right? And until we can isolate them and truly study what those mechanisms are and what the efficacy is and what the potency is of each one of those, it's really hard to take 400 chemicals and say, we understand this completely in that body, right? So, um, although- I totally agree with you. The the laws and regulations have got to change. It is utterly absurd. I can't think of one good reason that this is federally illegal. Not one good reason. And I try really hard to be the counterpoint to any point. I couldn't argue that side of the equation. And I'm, I'm pretty full of it and pretty good at arguing with people about that. <laughs> um, and I, can't, I just can't think of it. So we need that to open up. But I think companies like us, and there are a lot of people in Israel doing a lot of really good work. There are people in Canada doing a lot of really good work. There are companies behind the scenes doing a lot of really good work. Um, I think we're going to get there. Um, is it going to be as fast as everybody wants? No. Um, but I'll tell you, we're in it for the long game. This isn't a quick hey, we're Canadian and we're going to build a greenhouse and I'm going to flip it public and I'm going to make $10 million. Um, We're not in it for the flip game. We're in it for the long term. We're in it to try and be a part of making this industry and this subsector a great, great industry and one that does a lot of benefits to people. So um, would I love for it to happen sooner? A hundred. Am I worried if it doesn't? Not really, because we're not in it for the one to two year flip. We're in it for the the decade or two that uh, we're going to be in it to try and help both brands, innovators, patients, and consumers. I love it, Ben. Man, I love it. I, I really appreciate everything that you guys are doing. I appreciate that perspective, especially because right now it's a land grab and uh, it's, just, it's not the way to go forward. It's, and you are on the cutting edge of what's going on. And that's why I titled my podcast, The Edge of Cannabis Medicine, specifically yeah. to find folks like you that are doing what you're doing. So thank you very much. I do appreciate it. Yeah, I love what you're doing too, man. I, I appreciate you bringing a much more rigorous approach to this um, and really trying to dig in and and peel back those layers so that people truly understand what's going on with this plant, what the medicine does and kind of, you know, both the good and the bad and and what we know and what we don't know and, and, and the journey that we're kind of all collectively on as an industry. So I appreciate you and thank you so much for having me on Humble. So what do you think about this idea of cellular agriculture? Do you think that it's going to be the future? Because I do, and I'm a cultivator. I love this plant, but I don't see this as stepping on the toes of being able to enjoy this plant. I see this as a way to make this a reliable, a consistent, and a very effective medicine for people that need it. You know. Not everybody wants to smoke cannabis. Not everybody wants to eat an edible. Sometimes we want the traditional route of what we're used to, things like inhalers, things like pills. And this technology is going to 
be able to bring that to people that may otherwise have no interest in coming across this amazing medicine. And for that reason, I totally support what Ben is doing with Celebre. And it's also why I'm going to continue to push this idea forward. And if you haven't already, please go and give us a rating wherever you're listening to this. It really, really helps, guys. And it helps me to make sure that I can keep bringing you these episodes week after week with special characters and beautiful people like Ben. And until next time, my friends, please stay healthy and enjoy yourselves. This Edge of Cannabis Medicine podcast is copyright EM2P2 Inc. 2020. All rights reserved. Podcast use and availability is governed by terms and disclaimers available at edgeofcannabismedicine.com forward slash terms. I'm your host, Matthew Myro, and thank you for listening.